Hi there. Thanks for being here today. Just a quick note before we get into today's episode. Today's topic has been a bit of a controversial one in the world of divorce and co-parenting. It's important to remember that the views, ideas, beliefs, and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the guest and not necessarily shared by the Moms Moving On team. Thanks and happy listening. As a strong, independent mother, there is nothing that will get in the way of your child's safety. Soberlink understands the importance of peace of mind when it comes to co-parenting after a divorce. Using the highest quality technology and with features like facial recognition and real-time results, moms like you are empowered with proof that your child is safe. Navigating life post-divorce can be difficult, and having a tool like Soberlink allows for one less thing to stress about. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create this resource, Tips for Single Moms Returning to Work. To access the guide, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash MMO. This week on Moms Moving On. Kids have the right to have a relationship with both parents when they're fit. That should be encouraged. And I personally have a problem with any professional who works in the family court system or privately as a therapist, social worker, who sees their primary role is to judge and to figure out who's the better parent or who thinks that a child not having a contact with a parent for no good reason is okay. There is a lot more narcissism, so it's good to teach your children how to deal with this by not escalating and also knowing that if someone has a problem with you, they actually have a problem with themselves. Life moves on, so why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I'm so happy to have you here, and I'm so happy to have today's guest because we're talking about a topic How can I say this? It's a hot button topic and you hear the term and you tense up and right away you start to think negative thoughts, but we're going to work through this today together. I promise we have Ginger Gentile on with us and she is the director and producer of the documentary Erasing Family, which is currently streaming on all major platforms and exposes the trauma that children suffer when a loving parent is erased from their lives, a problem that affects 22 million families in the U.S. alone. We're talking about parental alienation, when one parent is erased by the other parent, leaving a child to feel really, really helpless and traumatized. Ginger, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Michelle. It's a pleasure. And for the work that you do and the time and energy that you put into this documentary, because it's, it really depicts what happens in a lot of cases in, in the family court system. But before we get into all of that and talk about why parental alienation is a little bit of a controversial topic, tell us about yourself and how this all came to be. Sure. So I am a child of high conflict divorce. My parents divorced when I was 13 And it was so high conflict that when I graduated college, I went as far away as I could from them, which was Argentina, a country that had no connection to, didn't speak the language. And I lived there for 13 years. And about halfway through my stay there, um, I met a man, I fell in love. And the first thing he told me was that he couldn't see his daughter. 
and after uh, a separation. And when I met him, it, was, it had been six years of no contact. And I think a lot of people, when they hear a story like this, they think, well, you must have a really bad lawyer. There must be some small issue we can iron out. And I began to look at his court case and I saw that he had visitation rights to his daughter, but they weren't being honored or enforced. And over time, he was just asking for less and less time. And as a documentary filmmaker, I began to talk to more people who were in a similar situation. And I made my first film on this topic called Erasing Dad, which you can also watch on our webpage or go to YouTube. It has English subtitles. It's been subtitled into like, I think, 20 languages. And that film deals with how the courts in Argentina erase fathers from their children's lives. And the key word here is fathers, because before we made the film, custody automatically went to dad, went to mothers in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And there was no such thing as joint custody. It was not recognized. And after the film was released, there was a huge uproar and uh, the law was changed to allow for joint custody. So parents could choose it before they couldn't even choose it. And also said there would be no um, gender preference, preference as far as custody was distributed, which was interesting because there was an exception under Argentine law because Argentina was one of the first countries to legalize gay marriage. And um, same-sex couples were allowed to have joint custody uh, before. So, so that's kind of an interesting little tidbit. And then I moved back to the U.S. in 2015, and right away I wanted to make a follow-up film. And I discovered two things very quickly, because I always just want to talk to people, see what's happening before I, I impose my own thoughts or, or thesis on, on what's going on. The first thing was that half of the people who contacted me and to this day, half of my followers or more than half, half of the people who donated money to the film are moms who can't see their kids. I'm happy we're, we're bringing this up because when I started to talk about parental alienation on social media, a platform where lots of people follow me for issues relating to divorce and single motherhood and coming out of a high conflict situation, there was an immediate backlash because when people hear parental alienation, they think about the father's rights movement and all the fathers who have sadly been erased and the mothers who say, well, there was a reason why he was erased or there was a reason why he couldn't see the kids or X, Y, and Z. But now here we are in a space where if you ask most women why they're getting divorced, they'll say that their ex-husband is either a high conflict, an abuser, or a narcissist or all of the above. And it's not uncommon for somebody with that kind of personality disorder to try and alienate a child. And it may not be hardcore alienation at first. It may be little comments along the way that start to plant seeds of doubt in the kid's mind. It may be so aggressive that as much as the child loves the mother, they just don't want to hear it anymore. So they're just going to side with the dad and make their lives easier. And that's what we're seeing more and more of. And I'm so glad that you're here today to talk about it. Exactly. So what, what, the people who study this have, have found is that what we can define loosely as parental alienation, and I want to remind people this is a pop culture term. I personally prefer the unelegant family bond obstruction. Um, you can might also hear the term contact, refusal, um, denial of visitation, bad mouthing, uh, alienation of affection. These are all lumped together, and parental alienation is kind of the pop culture term um, that's that's been used. And I, I think I, getting away from the debate about the terms is important. And also I've talked to people in the father's rights movement. I've talked to people in the protective mother's movement. And what I find interesting and saddening that people can't come together is 
on both sides are talking about losing access to their kids, the courts not doing enough to protect the bond with their children, and that removing a loving parent from their child's life is a form of abuse. And it's abuse directed towards the parent, the targeted parent, but the real victim, the collateral damage is the child. Absolutely. Um, so another term is domestic abuse by proxy. And um, that's also been gaining a lot of steam lately. So I think what's very important is sometimes I hear these two sides arguing with each other. And as a child of high conflict divorce, it's like mommy and daddy are fighting again. And they're both talking about the same thing, which is losing access to your children, mm-hmm. which the message of the film, Erasing Family. And my message is that kids have the right to have a relationship with both parents when they're fit. That should be encouraged. And I personally have a problem with any professional who works in the family court system or privately as a therapist, social worker, who sees their primary role is to judge and to figure out who's the better parent, um, or who thinks that a child not having a contact with a parent for no good reason is okay. And this is especially true in cases where children are given the right to decide, like in California, in California, children have the right to decide never to see a parent again at the age of 12. And I'm not sure about the laws in each state, but- It's exactly what happened to me, Ginger. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, wow. Age 12. Age 12. And and then a lot of parents know know this. And then also what happens with our court system is the old joke, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Children are not possessions, but in the court system, they often are. So if a child is with one parent, even if that parent played, let's say, dirty by denying visitation, bad-mouthing, a lot of judges will say, well, the child's okay. They're not filling out of school. They're not a drug addict. Let's maintain custody the way it is. And that's why the emphasis should always be, how can we help families instead of blaming? Because what I also don't want to see, and I, I have begun to see this too, is we all know of the controversy around people using accusations of domestic violence to gain custody. I also don't want to see a world where people are using accusations of parental alienation to gain custody. You know, you accuse the other parent of alienating. So that's why the courts really need to work on reducing conflict. And these these cases that we're talking about pretty much always end up in the courts one way or another. These are not amicable divorces. Though what I want to tell your viewers as well is in some cases, they start off fairly amicable. And I always tell parents who I work with and and coach with and counsel with, the first three to five years post-divorce are are very unstable, it's like quicksand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what can happen, and we see this in the film, the step-parent comes in. Yeah. And it's the step-parent who's doing the alienation. And in the film, we have a case of a mother who loses contact with their children. The children are adopted by the stepmother And it's very clear that it was the stepmother's idea. And before the arrival of the stepmother, was there really alienation going on? It doesn't, it seems like there was some stuff going on, but maybe not so much. It can also be, I'm not sure if you've seen this, a grandparent who is kind of orchestrating it and saying, I'll pay for the lawyer. Um, Sometimes these are very, and and it's, you know, I, I mean, stop me if I'm jumping all over the place a little too much, but sometimes these start off as a way to gain monetary assets. So, oh, oh, if we, if I win more custody, I will get more support. I will get more access to assets. And in a way, those are almost the easiest things to deal with because you're dealing with someone who's making a horrible choice, but it's a rational choice. The hardest are what you touched upon dealing with narcissists, people with personality disorders, 
or people, and often it's one of the same, who have unprocessed trauma. I'm right now counseling with one of my friends who's going through a divorce, and it's very clear his soon-to-be ex-wife is just repeating what she learned as a child, which is at the age of five, dad disappeared. Her oldest son is now five. So what is she doing? Because the whole time he's like, I don't really understand why we're getting divorced. I don't. So there's a lot of that too. So I think when people are trying to create a best strategy of how to prevent this situation or get out of this situation, not being able to see your kids, a very important thing is to look at the history and the family dynamics of your ex or soon-to-be ex. And if this happened to them as a child, to proceed with great caution because they might be unconsciously reproducing a dynamic because in the back of their minds, they think that's what a parent does or what they should do. They're just repeating that pattern. And that's something that you really should be aware of um, when you're going through these cases. And later we can talk about some tips and tricks to prevent this from happening because prevention is the key. I, you know, I talk to parents who haven't seen their kids in five, 10, 15 years. And they all say if they knew what this was early on, they could have done something. But what parents tend to do is they tend to acquiesce. They tend to say, okay, well, if I go with the flow, if I don't create problems, the other party will see the other side. So it's okay if they don't let me see my kids on, on, on this week because I'll make it up next week. Okay, you know, they start acquiescing. And that just gives the other person more power because they see that their plan is working. You also don't want to go in crazy guns blazing and create more conflict. But what I see with a lot of parents is a pattern, especially with women, of saying, well, the kids are okay. He's he's not letting me see them one of my two days. So I will, I will go with that. He kept them a little more. He put them in school activities. So, but that's okay. And then over time, I think it's important for people to know, it's very rare. It does happen with like, you know, kidnappings and stuff like that, but that's very rare. It's not like one day everything's great. And then the next day there's no contact with your kids. It's like a slow downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And so the key is just when you see that spiral to stop it right away and not, not let it keep going down, hoping it'll reverse itself on its own. Yeah. I mean, if you're not advocating for your children and your relationship for your, with your children, nobody else is going to do it for you. But I think what's so scary for so many of the women that I work with mm-hmm. is that it never starts out as full on alienation. Like to be alienated happens over time. It's really these little ways to make the children feel confused anxious, uncomfortable about the other parent when they don't necessarily need to be little things like, oh, well, you know, your mom doesn't let me see you more. So that's why whatever, or mommy took all my money. So I can't buy you those sneakers. Why don't you ask mommy since she has all my money. And then this starts to create a narrative in the child's head that the mom must be bad. Well, if mommy's bad, am I bad? And that's where all of this anxiety comes in. And I see it from almost all of my clients. I happen to work with a population of women whose exes are high conflict. And for so long, it was thought that moms were turning their kids against dad, but it's this behavior that's turning the kids against dad, that the parent who tries to alienate, it very often ends up backfiring on them in some way, shape or form. Have you seen this too in your situation? I, I have seen it backfire. Sometimes that backfiring though takes a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think parents, that's another mistake that parents make is they think, well, the kids will figure out what's going on 
right away. And they might, but you can't bet on that. So what parents can do if they see that this is beginning to happen, first of all, is to mirror good behavior, mirror how you would want your ex to talk about you and treat you. Mm-hmm. Um, don't adultify the children, uh, you know, so, and that's, and that can be very hard because sometimes you just want to set the record straight, but you know, if they say, you know, mommy has all my money, the worst thing you can do is to sit the kids down when they're little and say, look at the divorce settlement. Let's go over the numbers. That's not information for kids. Uh, so it's, it's very, you have to approach these things very carefully, but the biggest thing is not to shrink. So a lot of parents, they begin to withdraw from school activities, social activities. They stop talking to the other side of the family. And that could be because of what they perceive is being said about them. So first of all, sometimes people don't believe what they're told about you. Your ex might, might be waging a campaign saying to everybody how awful you are. A lot of people have dealt with divorce and high conflict before, and that actually might be making your ex look bad. So just because your ex told horrible lies about you to a bunch of people doesn't mean that people are actually believing them. But also by showing up with strength and dignity to these situations and maintaining these contacts, first of all, you have allies who can then advocate for you and your children. You have access to information about your children. But also, if it gets bad and you ask your children, look, you've been told all these things about me, but I still want you to make the effort to have a relationship with me, you need to put out that effort. You can't ask your kids to do something that you don't do first. And a lot of parents come to me and I might say, well, what about trying therapy? What about doing this? What about being more active in the school? And I say, oh, well, that's really hard for me to do. And it's like, right, but your kids, especially when they're teenagers, you're asking them to come see you when they've been told stuff about you. So you have to show that the strength because these children are very caught in this horrible situation. They have yeah. less leeway and options than adults. They yeah, I, in my own personal experience as a child, it was always my dad who at 11, 12 years old, wanted me to jump through these hoops to go like seek him out when he never made the effort, when my birthday came and went and I never heard from him, you know, and all those missed opportunities that could have helped our relationship turn into something. But last time we spoke and full disclosure, Ginger and I already recorded this episode and it got lost in my computer. So we're doing this again, but we did talk about how making the effort at school is such a great way in to stay present in your child's life and positive in the eyes of your child. Yes. So, so let's talk about a case where there is some alienation. Maybe you're seeing your children very limited because often in alienation cases, you still can see your kids, but they're rude. They might be spying on you, taking information back. They might be totally emotionally cut off and want to be locked in their rooms. So, but let's say that's happening. You should become as active as you can in your kid's school but you should do it without the end goal being to have more time with your kids. That will naturally happen, but you should just go up and show up and be an ally at the school, volunteer. If you can donate, donate. And the reason why is if you need the school to do something and the only time the school interacts with you is for you to call up and complain that you're not getting report cards or information about school events, which you legally are, you legally have the right to and should be getting. 
So, so you're calling a rectified problem. You're now the parent with a problem. But if you're the parent who's always there helping, you know, or you know, even for, you know, volunteering, then you're a parent who's part of the community, and you're just going to see a lot better reception when you need the help from the school because they're already going to know you when you go to the school to show up in a non-defensive way. So don't assume because schools, and sometimes we forget this, they have hundreds of kids with hundreds of problems, some probably worse than your own. And it's not like everyone's talking about you and your divorce. So show up with your head held high. You don't have to come and explain me like, hi, you probably know my ex has probably said awful things about me. I'm here to show you that I'm not this way. Just show up, be happy. If someone says something, you will show them by being wonderful and by being authentic and helpful that you're not that. And the narrative yeah. will fall apart. Um, I, I had a, a client who was like, when should I go to the school and let them know how awful my ex-husband is? And I was like, he Ever? may not want to do that. Like he might be awful to you, but he might present really wonderfully to the school and everybody in it. So who's going to look like the bad person there, you know? So I, I think, I think that's, that was just an example of literally what not to do. Right. Or going to school with books on narcissism. I've had people tell me, I want to bring everybody in the school, you know, a book on narcissistic behavior. It's like, no. I've people, heard of that too. Well, schools are overwhelmed. <laughs> be there as, as something to help. And the information, you know, that you can give should be limited and, and really what it's need to know. So if a, if a teacher says in a parent teacher conference, I noticed that your child's grades have really slipped in the past three months, they were getting A's and now they're failing. What's going on. You can say, we're going through a divorce. There's been problems at home. That's fine, but you should, it should never be, well, my ex is doing blah, 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 because people naturally recoil when you talk about problems with your ex or your, or your soon to be ex and think about how you, we all react right at a dinner party and a couple starts fighting. We want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So when you begin to talk about your ex in that way, people, they, they're just like, I don't want to touch this get away as opposed to saying, yeah, we're going through a divorce. It's, it's not going great. How can I support my child at home? This is what I'm trying. What are some, you know, let's, let's think of a plan together. You know, and then also, you know, I definitely encourage uh, people who are going through high conflict divorce to use the schools as the uh, as the custody exchange point. So you minimize the contact with the other parent. Right. Um, So that should be the natural point, unless there's some other reason, because the worst thing is to have a fight every time there's a custody exchange. Uh, Yeah, well, damaging. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably like cardinal rule number one. And so many people, you know, will give the advice that less contact between parents in front of the kids is the best. And you should always organize your, your pickup and drop off from school. So it's a seamless transition, but a lot of people can't do that because of, you know, for example, in my situation, my husband works later hours than I do. I'm flex, I have the flexibility in my career to pick Bella up from school, whereas he can't. So then we had to find an alternate route so I could get her to him on his day in a non-confrontational way. And that was exchanging in a public place and, you know, hoping that that created enough of a buffer. We don't need to do that now. We needed to in the beginning, but um, that's another really great alternative for people who can't use school as the pickup and drop off place. Like, Like these things don't always work in every, every situation is different. 
you know, because I've had people say, well, my ex is a school principal. Okay, that's going to be a different, you know, strategy, mm-hmm. but definitely finding ways to just like lessen the conflict. And an- another thing uh, to keep in mind, which I know you always post about and write about and talk about is when the other person shows up with their crazy demands to be, and this is, uh, this doesn't come from me, this comes from a, a master of this, Bill Eddy, be brief. Oh, friendly, firm, Biff. Yes. Uh, And I, cause I'm also a lot of, uh, I want to say quote unquote support groups online. And first of all, on Facebook, they're all public, which I tell people all the time, everything you post on social media is public. There's no such thing as a private group on Facebook or an anonymous group. Um, People can create fake profiles. Your ex can create a fake profile. Your kids can create a fake profile. This can be used against you in court. So that's why working with a coach, a therapist, or an actual closed support group is important. And yeah. sometimes people say, I'm thinking about sending this email or this text to my ex. And they put this long 500,000 word document describing their narcissism, their abuse, their hope that they will see the light. Yet, an- yet another time you're doing this. And if your ex says, you can't see the kids on the prearranged time, to give an example, like, no, Thursday's not going to work. Your response is, hi, I hope you're doing well. I'll be picking up my child at 2 p.m. Have a great day. Yep. Per court order, if you want, have a great day, but not really, again, you're changing the custody. That's what a narcissist does, right? It's all (laughs) because then they get back and it goes back and forth. and, And the trick is narcissists and high conflict people, they thrive on conflict. So the less conflict you offer up, the less emotional you get. And, and there can't be any emotion yes. in, in, the com- in the communication. I mean, that's cardinal rule number one and the hardest for any of us to, to follow because we are so emotional at the start of a divorce or when the other parent is now saying things to the children they shouldn't be saying. So like, Let's, let's shift to that a little bit because your kid's going to come home and your kid's inevitably going to say, daddy said this about you or the divorce or your new partner. And, you know, that makes me mad that you did X, Y, and Z. How do you respond? And like you said, you want to set the record straight, right? Well, here's the parenting plan. Here's how much money I got. Here's this, here's that. It's really maintaining a sense of composure. Like I've never had to maintain before. Right. It's, it's, so all these things are very, are very difficult, but also think of it is that like your child is going to deal with high conflict people their whole life. First of all, you know, their parents, bosses, coworkers, roommates, when they go off to college. So mm-hmm. mirroring what to do is such a valuable skill. And I feel like if there's one thing that our schools could be teaching people, especially as we know, narcissism is on the rise. There's been study after study. We're living in a very narcissistic culture, um, a very high. Why conflict. is that? Like, why? Why? Why is this like the epidemic within the epidemic? Well, part of it is just social media that we're encouraged to post about ourselves, that we always want to look good. Um, we're seeing ourselves reflected all the time. You know, like uh, there was a joke that, you know, plastic surgery went up during the pandemic, which makes no sense if you're in lockdown, but because you saw yourself on Zoom all the time. So people- Oh, I never knew that. That's really interesting. And and then, um, you know, and then also there's been this tact in psychology of, you know, you choose your own family. 
get rid of toxic people, which in a way is really good advice, but it also teaches people that, you know, relationships are disposable if they're not working out. And then we see this in dating culture where people ghost. When I was, when I was dating years ago in my twenties, I don't think the term ghosting didn't exist, but it also didn't happen. People would generally like, you'd call them up because you couldn't send a text message or you text them and they'd be like, Hey, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you this, but I'm not interested anymore. You go, okay. It'd be sad. But now people actually disappear. Um, but there is a lot more narcissism. So it's good to teach your children how to deal with this by not escalating. And also knowing that if someone has a problem with you, they actually have a problem with themselves. Mm-hmm. Do and this is something I do. I love that. I teach that to my daughter about the mean kids at school all the time. And I'm, I'm hoping she'll grasp the concept eventually because I'm like, well, baby, that wasn't about you. That person does not feel good inside. And she's like, huh? Like what? <laughs> yeah, that's what lashing out. And, and I definitely see this in moms who are experiencing high conflict or the beginnings of alienation. What they want to do is they want to figure out what they can do to change this behavior what they did wrong, and they begin to blame themselves. But if someone is is alienating, if someone is high conflict, if someone is narcissist, there's stuff you can do to limit the effects on you or to make yourself a less desirable target of their wrath. But it's like dealing with a scorpion. You can't get mad at a scorpion because it bites you. Now you can remove the scorpion you know, there's a lot of things you can do. You can wear scorpion repellent, you know, you can put food so the scorpion gets distracted. I don't know, but you can't get mad. And so, so many people, they, they, they begin to say, well, maybe if I show up less, because a lot of parents, that's another question I get a lot. My child said, they don't want me to go to the school event. What should I do? And I always say, um, unless there's a restraining order, show up, but do it in a way that does not draw attention to yourself. And so many kids have said they were so happy that their mom showed up but they didn't try to rush the stage and get a photo. This is especially with teenagers. Show up, be present. And this is in very bad cases where the child is also, that's that's the worst part is when the child begins to also put the barriers up. Mm -hmm. But always show up because the moment you stop showing up, what does the other parent say? See? See, your mom doesn't care about you. Right. So always show up, um, do it in a polite way. That is a case also where you can go to the school or the coach and just say very quickly, you know, this is what's going on. I want to be at the event. Can I be seated separately? What's the way to do it? Um, I know a mom who did something very smart. She started going to her daughter's away games, not the home games. Because she, you know what? Yeah, I'm happy you're bringing that up because a lot of a lot of times um, at the beginning of a divorce process, before mm-hmm. there's alienation happening, the angrier parent, the high conflict parent will use these opportunities at sporting events or school events to attack the other parent verbally, quietly with comments. And then that's when you see parents of the same family sitting on opposite sides of the field. And the child is sort of like, who do I look at? Where do I go to? And I've seen this happen at my own daughter's soccer games. And I always give the advice that if you feel your presence is going to cause more tension not in alienating circumstances where you're desperate to see your kid. If your presence is going to cause more tension, don't go. It's not the last game your kid is ever going to have, unless it's like a championship game, of course. But right. if it's going to make you uncomfortable, your child is going to feel that. And I just talked about this in regards to Halloween, which is coming up. And by the time this is out, Thanksgiving and the holidays, 
if it's going to be uncomfortable for your kids to see you two together, and it's going to put you in a very unhealthy or uncomfortable position, don't go. Just don't go. I remember there was a movie that came out like years ago called Four Christmases. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there was a nice ending scene where both, so they have four Christmases because it's a couple and both of their parents were divorced and then remarried. So somehow it became like they had to go to four different Christmases. And the end, after this whole conflict, their mom, one of their mom and the dad, I forget the movie, but they actually go and they see them both there with the grandkids opening up Christmas gifts. And they're like, huh, you guys hate each other. And they're like, yeah, we do. But we're going to pretend not to hate each other for the grandkids. It's five hours. And that I think is always the ideal is maybe it's, it's, you can't, and that might take time for my parents. It took about 20 years for them to be able to, to have a wow. um, and be in the same room, but you know, that's different than forgiving or being best friends, but, you know, being like, we can both go to our daughter's wedding and we're going to smile and we'll say, we'll be polite. Now, do we have to be best friends at the same table? No. But that's, you know, you know, that you can get through that and not have the, the, the kid, you know, so that's a goal, but it's sometimes good to, you know, talk about those goals or even talk about them with your kid if things get really, you know, messy saying like, my goal is that in, in 10, 20, 30 years, whenever you get married, we'll both be able to be there and it'll be happy for everybody. And that way your kid also knows that that's the goal you're working for, which is very different than, you know my goal is to always protect you and let me tell you right now that no matter what daddy does, I'm on your side and I will walk over hot coals for you. So it's trying to be like, I hope that someday this will work out and this is just temporary. And it also gives the kid hope that this is temporary, that this isn't permanent. And that, you know, now again, that might not happen, but it's a nice goal to have. And that's why I also think the goal of the court system, having both parents in the kids' lives is important. Are there instances where that can happen? Sure, we can think of a thousand reasons why a parent should not be in their kid's life, right? But if the goal is that, then you're always working towards that. And then you have the rare exceptions where that cannot work and should not work because the child's welfare is in danger. As a, but right now there's some practitioners who really are, who's the better parent, let me choose. And it's so arbitrary because you might have two very good parents and one gets chosen as the better parent, or you might have two very bad parents, you know, and one gets chosen as the better parent. So the whole like pitting it together, the whole custody evaluation thing, like I find can be very counterproductive. And also, as I'm sure you warn uh, your clients, your followers, it can turn out the way people don't think it will. I, I know a lot of cases of mothers who ask for custody evaluations thinking that it would work in their favor. And then they got very horrible surprises Yeah, because people, because it's, it's, you're putting your fate out of your hands. That's a um, great point. I've seen that happen when sometimes a guardian is added to the case yes. and all of a sudden, like the mom who's been advocating and, and the one who's trying to shed light on the problem they turn against her because they yes. just want to create a fair and balanced environment. I've seen that. It's so disheartening and so scary on so many levels. Especially for a lot of the mothers out there, I'm sure it's often, not always, it's often the father who has more financial resources. And to be very careful about bringing outside professionals in because even though they're not supposed to, the people, who, whoever's writing the check always has more power in that situation. 
So to be very careful about asking for guardian ad litems, asking for custody evaluations, and to be very, very cautious and go in with open eyes. And that's the thing I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of too. Just because you're right and you have evidence doesn't mean that the courts will see it. Right. So don't assume that just because I have all this evidence, sometimes that evidence isn't admissible in court. Or they might say, that's kind of weird that you have all this evidence, huh? Well, there is another side to that though. The, you know, knowing the legal system as well as I do now, even -hmm. though I'm not a lawyer, the judges are only given a very small picture of what the whole picture is. They don't have the time with their overloaded dockets to hear about every last fucking detail and what he said in 1942 and what she did when she looked at him wrong. They don't. So where this this uh, data comes into play and, and its importance is when you can take, sort of compile a list of all of the things, narrow it down to the worst evidence pieces of evidence that you have from your past with this person and have your, your lawyer submit it because being able to paint a a broader picture, like here are some things that have happened, not each little inconsequential detail. Timelines are very important. I'm just saying to just always be cautious. So I don't know if you know yet, but I went ahead and did a thing. I wrote myself a little book and it's going to be available to all of you in January of 2022. That's just a few months away. And I am so excited for you to be able to get your hands on it. It's called Moms Moving On, Real Life Advice on Conquering Divorce, Co-Parenting Through Conflict and Becoming Your Best Self. Now, I bet you're wondering what it's all about. That's a great question. It's pretty much like a what to expect when you're getting divorced, a how-to guide for moms, if you will. Here's what the professionals say. Moms Moving On is filled with practical, actionable, and empowering advice from someone who has been through it and has come out the other side. Through Michelle's guidance, you'll learn how to navigate your divorce with confidence, adjust to life as a single mother, and shift your perspective to find your way back to your best self. From co-parenting to dating as a single mother, you'll learn how to truly move on and create the life you deserve. Yes, you will. Ladies, check it out now on my website, momsmovingon.com, and you can pre-order it so you can be the first to get your hands on it. With all of this information, I think it can it can be said that at the end of the day, our job is to protect ourselves so that we can protect our children. And when that feels impossible, I think the best thing you can do is educate yourself, lean on people who have been there and who can support you in this time. And I'm not talking about friends who love you. I'm talking about actual professionals who have worked with families in this type of situation, whether it's a social worker at your kid's school, um, your mental health professionals, therapists, and and lawyers and more, because you cannot get through this alone and you're going to want somebody who's well-qualified to help you through it. But Back to Ginger and the film, I would love to hear more about the film, how the second film that's coming out and all that you've, you've compiled in the meantime. Yeah. So, so I think we, I'll, I'll go back to where we kind of left, left off. So when I came back to the U S I started to talk to lots of people who were unable to see their kids. And the first thing I discovered is that about half the people or more who reached out to me and who are followers of the Erasing Family film, who donated money to the Erasing Family film, are mothers who can't see their children. And what I discovered is that 
while there's a lot of things that may be gendered in the divorce process, the ability to erase a parent from their kids' lives has no gender, that this issue is genderless, mm -hmm. that high conflict people come from both genders. It might manifest a little differently, but there's tons of mothers. And what's unique about the mothers is, first of all, they tend to feel a lot of shame because unfortunately in our society, if a father says, oh, I only see my kids once a month, I got divorced, we might be like, well, that's not great, but kind of don't think about it. But if you ask a mother, oh, uh, where are your kids? And she goes, oh, I haven't seen them in years. We're like, whoa, what, 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 what did, did you, you do? do? Yeah. What did you do? And the other thing that happens too is th they're also, I think because of these, stereo these stereotypes or stories we tell that this happens mainly to dads, they're also more shocked by it. I think a lot of men know they could potentially lose access or have less access to their kids' divorce. But when it happens to mothers, they are shocked. And that shock prevents them sometimes from making the best decisions because they say it could never happen to me. So one of the purposes of the film Erasing Family and coming on shows like yours, Michelle, isn't to paint, to make people scared, but if they know that this is happening, they can prepare for it and prevent it. And in cases of alienation, pound of prevention, no, what is it? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That yes. if these things are caught early on, they can be reversed, they can even be resolved. But the more that time goes on, the less people want to intervene because the children have become accustomed to that and then the children adopt that narrative. So if you see this beginning, this is the time to not shrink and to politely and happily stand up for your rights and for your children. Never and be afraid to exercise before. your parenting plan. Yes. And then the other thing I found when I began to make the film Erasing Family is that so many young people were making videos on YouTube. Now it's, not, now it's TikTok because this was years ago when I started to make the film Erasing Family about how they couldn't see a parent or a sibling how desperate they were, how they were angry at the judges for doing this, how much guilt they felt. And when I made the film Erasing Family, I found all the kids in the film, which Erasing Family is streaming now on a variety of platforms. I found them all through social media because they would post videos about their journey. And I think that's the other thing that I can share with your listeners is social media has a lot of negative things, but your social media timeline is viewable by the world, including your children. And just because your you can't see your children doesn't mean they can't see you. Newsflash, your kids know how to create fake profiles, fake accounts, and they are following their parents on social media. Even if you're not talking to your kids, even if it's been years, they are following you. So showing up like you do on your profile with messages of positivity, uh, messages of hope, just showing how happy you are, how proud you are your kids instead of I'm missing my kids, I'm empty without them, but just being like, I'm so proud, my kid, you know, won an award, it's their birthday. That really has a very powerful effect. And also I've seen cases where negative posting about the other parent actually leads the kid to like want to step back from that. Yeah. So, so that's kind of how like, so that's how I started with the Erasing Family film. It took me about two years to make. And what I thought was so interesting is I interviewed a lot of wonderful professionals. And if you watch the film, uh, there's two very moving interviews with judges. Um, one who, who cried at the end when he got to readopt a family where uh, the daughter was adopted by the, uh, by the mother's husband. 
And then the father readopts her and he kind of cries where he like realizes he can help put this family back together. And also judge who said that uh, she no longer asks children for their opinion because she got letters from kids later on saying that they lied and they made up stories. And that's because kids feel a lot of pressure. So the other big lesson of the film is really to keep the kids out of it. Kids shouldn't be testifying in court, uh, that they feel a lot of guilt and that judges, um, you know, and other family court professionals, they don't, they don't know how to deal with these, um, with this testimony and also this practice of asking kids who you want to live with. That's a snapshot of how they feel at that moment. And it's really unfortunate. We've seen cases and we talked about this the last time I, I talked to you, like Tamara judge, her daughter testified mm-hmm. in court that she no longer wanted to see her. Mm-hmm. And this isn't, because mommy is abusive, because mommy did this, it's just, I don't want to see her. And the courts say, that's okay, depending on the jurisdiction. So that's something that I think we really have to work on. And then another thing that, you know, we've created along with the film is a bill of rights for kids uh, going through divorce. That's on our website. And it's all about- I love this. Love both parents. And this is a great thing to post in the schools because it's just 10 little things that every kid has. And we also created a free text line so kids and parents can text and it's 865-4-FAMILY. And we created a text line because we know kids don't want to call, they want to text. And we have a staff of volunteers, uh, coaches and professionals who will get back to you with resources. It's not legal aid, but we felt like there was just a lot of, you know, need out there. And then also seeing that the film is being used, um, it was shown in front of the Texas State Legislature a month ago. Um, wow. being shown at family bar associations and it's and for parents who are wondering well what can I do to educate people a film is a much easier way to educate people or get people to think and open up their hearts than a book or a talk sometimes um so because a lot of times parents want to give these thick heavy books on narcissism to people and it's sometimes much easier to give them a film or a book that tells a personal story like what you're working on, something that engages people as opposed to such scientific documents. So I often warn people like their information is there if asked, have it, but a narrative of someone telling their own story or a film is much more powerful than something that's dry and academic because people are more likely to like engage with it and feel moved by it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why if you are listening, I implore you to go check this out at erasingfamily.org. You can learn more about the filmmakers. You can learn how you can support the movement, make a donation and check out the resources, which are incredibly helpful. Also, the film did come out in Spanish language in Argentina. So that's an opportunity. Right, well, that's the first film, Erasing Dad, the film oh, Erasing Dad. Family. That takes place in the US and Canada. That came out in 2019. And that's focused really on children telling their own stories about um, yeah. how they can reunite, it how they will- reunite with their parents. It will touch you on so many levels, as I'm sure this episode has. So, Ginger, if anybody else wants to get in touch with you, how can they do so? So there's two ways. We're on social media at Erasing Family. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok. We have some videos of kids reacting to the film coming out. It's really cool. They can also go to erasingfamily.org, which has the Bill of Rights, all the links to the film, so you can watch it right there. Um, our text line. And if they want to get in touch with me as a coach or consultant, that's gingergenteel.com. 
and I have a consulting page there. And if you forget all that, just Google me or the film. I'm very easy to find. I, I will have everything linked. Everybody who's been listening, thank you so much for being here and we'll see you next time. Imagine a place to get all of the resources you need and deserve while going through the divorce process, from legal and mediation tips to expert co-parenting advice and heartbreak healing words of wisdom. Imagine a place that offered weekly words of wisdom and inspiration curated just for you by me to help motivate you and make you feel seen throughout the toughest days of your divorce journey. Imagine if that place also provided you with the opportunity to connect with other moms who are going through the exact same thing as you. That place exists, and it's called the Moms Moving On Membership Community. With two membership options, you are guaranteed to find your village and thrive in this next phase of your life. Visit my website, momsmovingon.com, and click on Become a Member to join our community now. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.